Well, a warm uh, welcome to City Legal. It's lovely you can join us uh, today, whether you're joining us online because you're working from home like uh, some of us still are, or you've got a little watch party like the party down in Canberra at the moment. Hello to you. Or you're here in person, a very warm welcome to you. My name's Peter Wrench, and the City Legal community exists to consider the bigger questions of life with silks and suits uh, in cities right around Australia. Uh, the format, if you're new, and a special welcome to you, is a short talk followed by Q&A. And you can ask questions at any time by uh, using the chat function at the base of your screen or by texting to the number that appears on the screen or on the uh, handouts that you received on the way in if you're here in person. Now, uh, we're very privileged to have speaking for us again, Al Stewart. Al is no uh, stranger to City Legal. In fact, he's been speaking and uh, teaching the Bible in the city for almost 20 years, 20 years next year. Is that right, Al? Uh, and actually, he's asked that a short uh, passage be read. It's uh, taken from the biography of the life of Jesus written by Luke, and I'm going to read that. You can find that uh, posted on the, on the, uh, on the link uh, or on the piece of paper in front of you. And I don't have that piece of paper, so Al, would you mind passing that to me? Is that okay? <laughs> so organized. <laughs> Here we go. All right, so this is taken from Luke's biography in chapter 18. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Over to you, Al. Peter, well, good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and uh, good morning if you're watching online. Uh, we're in week three of uh, looking at some of the strange sayings of Jesus. Uh, I'd like to begin, actually, by uh, quoting Steve Bidolf uh, in his book, The New Manhood. Uh, he talks about the constant comparisons that men make with one another. And uh, let me bridge what he says. Competition is the bane of men's lives. To this day, when I sit down in a public place beside a swimming pool, for example, I relax, feel good if there's no one else around. If another man arrives, I first run a check that he's not a physical threat, that he's not, about to, not able to mug me. No one has ever mugged me or hurt me since childhood, but the feeling still lives. Women understand this reflex for different reasons. Then I get to assessing whether he is stronger, has better clothes or is more athletic. If he's with a woman, I look for signs that she doesn't really like him. If the car park is within view, I check out his car for comparison with my own, a good guide to income and status as well as taste. Even if he is friendly and the conversation starts, I consider in what light to present myself. The inner competition goes on and on. I seem caught in a basically hostile and insecure obsession with comparisons. Uh, The New Manhood is a very good book. Uh, I can't help but think, though, that the one that I've written is actually better, but... um, Small attempt at humour there with comparisons. At least Steve Bidolf found a publisher. But anyway, uh, 
<laughs> we inevitably compare ourselves with people. And I'm assuming that the same comparison happens for women and perhaps on different uh, criteria. In fact, sometimes in one week, I guess I can feel tall or short or uh, rich or not rich or smart or dumb or uh, old or even youngish. Kathy has an uncle who's 98 and I visit him and think I'm still a boy. Uh, I can feel heavy or thin or it all depends on who I'm with because inevitably I compare myself. All depending on who I am with and no doubt you think similar things depending on who you're with. The other great problem, of course, with comparisons is this, that we play relational water polo. Now, I watched my girls play water polo for years, and uh, something happens to a girl when you throw her in a pool with a water polo ball. They become feral. But the way in which you lift yourself up in water polo is you push the other person underwater. And comparisons do that. We lift ourselves up by realising that we're doing better or pushing the other person underwater. Now, this morning, you know, Jesus says that this problem of comparisons slides into or fits into our spiritual beliefs as well. He says comparisons affect the way that we think of ourselves before God, our creator. Now, we're in the middle of four talks on the strange sayings of Jesus. And I've been saying each week, when you want to understand a parable that Jesus tells, three very simple rules. One is... Who is the audience is very important. Two, there's usually one main point that he's making. And three, very often there's a what just happened moment. There's something like that can't be right if you really think of it. And that it's at that point that, that the sharp edge of the parable in what Jesus is teaching. So let's have a look at this parable um, that Peter just read for us. Let's have a look at the good man and the bad man. Uh, here we go. It'll be uh, on the screen here or in your hand or I'm sure you'll have it in front of you. Luke chapter 18, verse 10. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I, fa I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. Now, if you've grown up with, if you had the privilege of growing up in a home where you were taught the Bible, um, you'll know that the Pharisees are always the bad guys. When I would read the Bible um, to my children, a children's Bible, the Pharisees always have scowls on their faces and they're dressed in black because we know they're the bad guys. Except that's actually not the case. They were truly the good men of their society. Uh, they were the Bible reading, church going, Old Testament law obeying. In fact, they'd worked out there were 600 and something commandments in the whole of the Old Testament. Not only did they keep those, but they made up some new ones. Uh, and he does live a good life. Do you notice he says, um, what is it? Um, I'm not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even this tax collector, verse 12. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. Now, tell you how you know he's sincere. His religion touches his belly and his wallet, okay? If you guarantee, um, if, if a man's belly and wallet are involved, he's sincere. So there's a good man, and he is good. And then there's the bad man, verse 13. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven and think, oh, no, 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 wait. I know the tax collectors are the good guys because they were friends with Jesus. And the answer is no, they were not the good guys. Uh, here's a, here's a, a painting I found by 
Quinton Massey, uh, who's a Flemish artist from 1525, called the Tax Collectors. And you can see the hard lines of um, greed etched into their faces. The tax collectors had sold out, they were Jewish men who had sold out to the occupying Roman army and they collected taxes on behalf of the Romans and put as much as they could in their own pockets and they really had sacrificed every relationship they had for the sake of money. Callous, hardcore greed that crushed people. I don't know what the equivalent today would be, selling ice or being a human trafficker might be close. Someone who's hated because of the greed that's driven them. And what does he do? See verse 13. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. He just throws himself on the mercy of God. Begs for it. Offers nothing more than that. Now, here's Jesus' Jesus' summation of what happens. Verse 14. I tell you, Jesus says that this man, meaning the tax collector, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And if you look in there, the the term justified is a loaded term in the New Testament. Uh, It's taken from the law courts of the day and it's the idea of being declared right or righteous by the judge. It's the judge saying, you're okay with me or you're okay before the law, essentially the same thing. And Jesus is saying, The tax collector is declared righteous by God and okay with God. The bad man is accepted and the good man is rejected. Now, folks, here's where familiarity can uh, kind of dull us to what Jesus is actually saying. Because at the moment, if you're watching online, there's not a major problem of a riot happening here uh, at Silks. Everyone's still looking pretty relaxed. In fact, Two or three screensavers have gone on in people's eyes, all right? They're just not really... You think, yeah, oh, yeah, I've heard this story before. <laughs> I guarantee when the initial audience heard this, the, the Jewish people that Jesus was speaking to, it was like a slap in the face. I mean, let me try and just what they heard. They heard the good man misses out and is not accepted by God. That's the, the church-going, charity-giving um, Bible-believing uh, good man is not acceptable. And worse, the bad guy is. The human trafficker who just throws himself on the mercy of God is accepted. God says, you're righteous. Now, how can, how can that be? That changes everything that you intuitively expect Jesus to be saying is like, got to be good, not bad. And what? The problem lies with the fact that I, I had the wrong title for the uh, parable. It's not the good man and the bad man. It's the proud man and the humble man. The proud man compares himself to others, and that's the problem. In fact, I don't know if you noticed as I read the story, I didn't read verse 9, which introduces what it's all about. Let me show you verse 9. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. That is, to those who are playing spiritual water polo and thought they were okay, Jesus tells this parable. Literally, what Luke says is, in the original language, to those who were trusting in themselves that they were righteous 
and despised others. As you read the Bible, it's interesting that pride, I'm okay, um, it's all about me, is something that God absolutely hates. And in fact, you could, it's, it, it's quite possible that what Jesus is saying, you could, could translate it, the Pharisee stands up and prays about himself or even to himself. Um, in terms of what the Pharisee is doing, God doesn't even really need to be there. Self-reliance, aren't I really good, all the things I do and how much better I am than other people. And you notice for the, for the Pharisee, it's comparison and all about him and others. For the tax collector, there's no audience except God. He only looks to God and realises how bad he really is and he throws himself on the mercy of God. And of course, uh, Jesus' summary of the whole thing, that, that the one who throws himself on the mercy of God is justified, is right with the judge, and the proud man is not. See, in the Bible, to be justified, to be declared right, is the gift of God. We cannot earn it. It's the gift of God. Why? Because Jesus, in, in, in the death of Jesus, God pays the price of forgiveness so that God can be just. Yes, the price has been paid and also merciful. But you know what? It's so natural to compare ourselves to others, isn't it? Um, and, and it so easily happens I could say, I'm a follower of Jesus. I have been for a long time. Um, it so easily happens. You, you know, you, you look at other people and you think, well, I'm better than her or I'm better than him or, well, I don't do that. Or, you know, I give more, I work harder, I'm more reliable, I'm more orthodox, I'm more compassionate, and I'm certainly more humble. So here's the, if you've been following Jesus for a while, if you do, and I know we don't all, many of us are just thinking about this, but if you do, if you have served Jesus and have worked hard, how should we think of ourselves? Well, it's interesting, I don't have time to go through Jesus' whole parable, but in chapter 17, he says, so you also, when you have done everything that you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants, we have only done our duty. Uh, You've stepped up and served your creator, you've given your life to the one who gave you life in the first place, Jesus is saying, big deal. You just did what you were made to do, created to do. Now, incidentally, he will reward those who followed him, but that's not because we've earned it. It's because he's generous. So the proud man looks around at others and despises them. The humble man simply looks to God, is aware of his own broken heart and asks for mercy. Now, for those of us who do follow Jesus, it's very easy to lose the sharp edge of this. Let me give you an example of how we do it. So the tax collector comes to the temple. He, he prays. He throws himself on the mercy of God. He's forgiven because Jesus died for him, etc. What would we like him, we who follow Jesus, what would we like him to be able to say when he comes back a year later? So a year later, the former tax collector, because he's got a new job now working for not-for-profit, Um, the former tax collector comes back and he stands in the temple and prays and says, God, I thank you that I'm living honestly now. Thank you that I go to a Bible-based church and I'm in a Bible study group. Thank you that I give to the church by direct debit. Um, Thank you that I now listen to uh, Christian soft rock music in my car. 
And thank you that I'm a better person and that I've changed, unlike the rest of my friends who haven't listened about Jesus. And isn't there a temptation to turn him into the Pharisee? Right? Uh, it just the natural, it just, you've got to work against it. Just, it. It's the downhill slope. But here's a question for you. What if the tax collector comes back a year later and he hasn't changed? What if he's still a tax collector? And, he, and he, um, he's still a crook and he's still been stealing and he comes back and he, he walks into the temple and genuinely with all his heart, he says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Do you know what? God would forgive him. God would justify him. Think, really? What? Say, yeah. What if he came back a following year and hadn't changed and threw himself on the mercy? Yes, God would justify him. In fact, how many times? Up to, up to seven times? Jesus says actually 70 times seven. God forgives those. God justifies those who, gen, and I say genuinely, I don't just mean lip service, genuinely throw themselves on his mercy. Now, if you've, if you've been following Jesus for a long time, and for me, I worked out this morning, it's 41 years, okay? Um, beware of looking sideways. Because the great, the great sin of the Christian heart as you get older is comparisons. That subtle pride of, you know, how good I am and how much I've done and how much I know when I've... You know what? I think Christians are even capable of praying, thank you, God, that I'm not like this Pharisee. Okay? Think about that one. That's a perfect loop. Learn the lesson from the tax collector Let us not compare ourselves to others, but simply relate to the God who justifies sinners because that's all we have to bring to him. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus yet, can I ask you, have you or say to you, you need to humble yourself before God and ask for forgiveness, to ask to be justified. And perhaps if you haven't yet, it's wonderful that you're here and it's great that you're listening, but maybe... There might be a couple of reasons. One, one might be that you would not humble yourself before God because of pride. I guess I've met people who are too clever to follow Jesus or have question, can ask questions that Christians can't answer or ask for signs that Christians can't give. We need to beware of being so clever we'll argue ourselves right out of forgiveness and, and into hell. Or it could be moral pride. I've met people who say, I live just as good a life as Christians do. And no doubt they did. Or you can actually have reverse pride. I like this one. Reverse pride. Well, let me, there's a, um, uh, a famous German theologian of the 20th century, Helmut Thieliger. I, I just love that photograph that I found of him. Uh, it's so politically incorrect. He's sitting there smoking his cigar and I love it. He talked about, as he spoke on this parable, he talked about tax collector's pride, which is kind of a reverse pride. I'll I'll read, read to you what he says. You'll get it. The tax collector stands up and says, I thank thee, God, that I am not so proud as this Pharisee. I am an extortioner, unjust and an adulterer. That's the way human beings are. And that's what I am. But at least I admit it. And therefore, I'm a little better than the rest of the breed. I commit fornication twice a week, and at most 10% of what I own comes from honest work. But I am an honest man, oh God, because I don't kid myself. 
I don't have any illusions about myself. Let your angels sing a hallelujah over this one sinner who is as honest as I am, honest enough to admit that he is a dirty dog and not hide it beneath his robes like these lying Philistines, the Pharisees. I guess that's a, that's a variation on comparison. So, folks, the question is not our morality. The question is will we humble ourselves before God? And perhaps the second reason, and this one's not so common, but I have, I have met, I have a friend who lives with this. The second reason to not humble yourself might be despair. And that is that feeling that things I've done, God could never forgive. But that's not true. No matter what it is we've done, no matter where it is we've been, God will forgive those who humble themselves because Jesus died for them. In fact, the only thing God won't or can't forgive is that refusal to come to him and be humble. So you notice Jesus promised at the end of the parable, God lifts up or exalts those who will humble themselves before him to come and ask for forgiveness. Pete. Oh, well, thanks very much, Al. Uh, we'll just give Al about 20 seconds break, let him have a drink, uh, and then you can uh, keep pouring the questions in. It's a question over there. Perhaps um, someone might like to pass that up to me. There's questions that have come in on the text, and I've got some questions here. Thank you very much. Um, so just text your questions to the number on the screen or on the um, sheets. There's another question over there. If someone would like to, maybe I'll walk over and get it. There you go. All right. You ready, Al? Okay, Pete. As long as I can say I don't know, you know, okay. anything you want. Okay, all right. Um, uh, Roosevelt said, comparison is the thief of joy. Uh, yes. However, is it not okay to draw encouragement from God's work in us when we compare ourselves to our former selves? I think it was Theodore Roosevelt said, comparison is the thief of joy. Uh, and I think Jesus continually pushes those who would follow him to live with an audience of one. But I think, yes, you can, you can draw encouragement. That is, uh, you can look back and realise, I like the cliched way to say it is, I'm not what I should be, but by the grace of God, I'm not what I was. Um, and so you can see, yes, God changes you over time. Although, <laughs> I think I'm a slow learner, 40 something, 40 years, uh, the goalposts keep moving. Uh, so there might be some really obvious things I had to stop 40 years ago. But I'm aware of uh, God still working on me and a long way to go because, yeah, the goalposts keep moving in terms of uh, character and uh, those things. Uh, do you feel like you're getting worse, Al? Uh, I still have, have a long, thought that. I still have a long way to go, Pete. Yeah, I, I'm right. reasonably safe because my wife is not in the room. Okay. But uh, if you ask Kathy, she'll, she'll tell you a lot of the work areas that are still underway. All right. Interesting question from Melbourne uh, about comparison. But, you know, isn't comparison with others just part of our world? For example, billable hours, you know, yes. dare I mention that term, uh, those who get promotions, who get better jobs and so on. Uh, yes, isn't isn't that right. just part of our world? Is that, it is a is part that necessarily of our world. bad? Or? Absolutely. Uh, and in some ways, you know, comparison can 
spur you on to do better and, and lift your game, etc. But I think Theodore Roosevelt was right. That is the thief of joy. Um, and envy is, is, envy will suck the joy out of life. It is interesting, isn't it, that we don't tell each other what we earn. You know, if you walk around with a name tag at work on your swipe card and your salary underneath it, why do we not do that? Why would we never do that? It's because if someone's paid less than you, you feel slightly superior. And if someone's paid more than you, the green-eyed monster comes out. And, yeah, so so comparisons often are not good. And Jesus is saying, do not let comparison um, leak into or take over the way that you think of relating to God. Uh, another another great uh, question here. Um, does being humbled mean rejection by God? So it's actually talking about the state, I think, of, of being humbled by events or circumstances. Does yes. that mean that you're rejected by God? Uh, if you mean that things are difficult in life and you realise that you're not self-sufficient or you're not the self-made person... I would, I would often say that is the severe mercy of God. Can you explain that a little bit? Yeah. Because some people teach that, look, if you follow God, everything will go well for you and you'll be blessed, you'll be healthy, you'll be wealthy, you'll be wise and so on. So can you explain yeah. that? What do you mean by severe um, mercy? Well, that, see, prosperity theology really is evil. And that is the, the, the teaching that if, if you follow Jesus, you'll be healthy and wealthy and beautiful and have wrinkle-free skin and everything will be wonderful for you. That can work with a tiny proportion of the population for a limited time. But it's popular because it's what people want to hear. Now, what the New Testament says is that there will be hard things in your life if you follow Jesus. And some of those things will come from having to swim against the stream in the way that society is going and you'll get pushback. And some of those things will be hard things that God will put into your life to teach you, to teach you lessons about your own mortality and your own um, frailty uh, or, to, you know, God keeps making me wait for things that I'm the world's most impatient person. And I, I uh, and so they're just, there's things that God will teach you. When it comes to actually becoming a, a Christian, a follower of Jesus, uh, and I know I've had interesting discussions with one of my friends about this, very often, uh, <laughs> My wife says pain opens ears. So very often it's when there are hard things in someone's life or God has taken away the, the things that we were trusting in to give us security, safety, status. It's, it's when God humbles us in that way that we have ears open about, about God and our need for him. Rarely have I met anyone who's, who's walked into a church and said, life's going really well. I'm making a fortune in my business. I got a wonderful boy, you know, boyfriend, girlfriend. Life's just terrific. I want to find God giving my life to say thank you. Almost doesn't happen. But I've met people who've been humble, if you like that word, or, um, uh, and it, it's been the severe mercy of God to open their ears. Oh, thank you very much. We've got a question from a lawyer, it looks like. Uh, is the meaning of justify in the New Testament consistent with Isaiah 53? He, that is Jesus, will justify many. Yes. So a question about the word justify. Yes. Um, the, the Leon Morris, uh, his PhD, the Apostolic Preaching of the Cross, will go through the meaning of justified. Um, and I've just, the word slipped my mind in the, um, uh, the, the, the um, 
was it? Just say again. Sorry. No, no, no. The, the, um, uh, how the Old Testament concept of justification and the New Testament concept line up, they're just slightly different words. Right. But it is the idea of being declared, not so much that you are righteous, but that the judge declares you to be righteous. The idea of God giving you his righteousness. And, yep, it's the same idea as in, say, Isaiah 53 or what came out of the sacrificial system. So he's saying it's a law court's word, though, the the word justify comes from the the law court. Yeah, as Paul uses that that word, dikaiosune, yeah, it's a a reference or an image from the law courts. Okay. Um, A a question that picks up on something you said at the end of your talk or towards the end of your talk, um, it's about the tax collector. Do Do you think that he changed his ways after he went home from the temple? If, he, if the tax collector was genuine in what he said, and, and Jesus certainly, I mean, here we are, with, um, um, you know, going further than the parable, of course, extrapolating. But if the tax collector is genuine about humbling himself before God, he will then, and he's justified, he will then change his behaviour. So the way that he acts shows the genuineness of his, uh, or the reality of his trust in God. If he walks away and doesn't change, then he wasn't real or genuine. Yep. All right. That's a very heartfelt uh, question here coming in from the text. Look, I, I admit it. I am a Pharisee. Um, how do I practice daily repentance? Uh, yeah, I, I think there is, I think that if you're a follower of Jesus, there's, there's some Pharisee in all of us. And that is, you know, looking sideways and comparing and seeing how we're going. Uh, it's interesting how often Jesus says, live with an audience of one. Uh, and, and you relate to God and don't compare yourself to others. And I think it's being reminded of that regularly is the way to go. Yep. Okay. An and, audience of one. And there's a sort of question that's related. Uh, is anyone actually humble? Is anyone actually humble? Well, Jesus is always the answer to any question. So, yes, he is. Uh, uh, he says he is in Matthew chapter 11 and Philippians chapter 2. It says Jesus humbled himself. So humility is not a uh, false modesty. Oh, well, I can't do whatever. Okay, It's like people in this room who are, so many of you are lawyers. There's no point saying, oh, I'm not intelligent. Of course you are. You wouldn't have the job here. Uh, humility is, is not false modesty. Humility is concern for others. I know it's a bit of a cliche. I think C.S. Lewis said, uh, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less often. So is anyone actually humble? Well, (laughs) Jesus is. There you go. And the rest of us, I'd suggest it's a work in progress. How about that? I don't think anyone has actually arrived. As soon as you say humility, I've nailed it. It's probably a problem. Okay. Okay. So I'm a, I, I like what Winston Churchill said. I think myself like Clement Attlee. Churchill described him as a humble man with a lot to be humble about. And uh, I think, yeah, I can identify with that. Okay. Um, interesting question. Uh, I'm sorry if you can't hear me. Uh, interesting question here about um, uh, the sort of work that we do. Um, let me read it. Well, those of us um, who are lawyers, you mean? Yes. Yep. Uh, would the tax collector, after being justified before God, have to stop being a tax collector? That is... You know, if, if you're 
you become a follower of Jesus, does that have implications about the sort of work you do, e.g. tax lawyer? Um, uh, it's very, <laughs> they, don't, they don't line up exactly. Uh, uh, whether or not the tax collector could stay a tax collector would be a, a moot point, I think. Um, Jesus said, give to Caesar what's Caesar's and, and Caesar's pictures on the coin. Uh, it would radically change the way in which he operated as a tax collector. Um, I, I suspect he'd have to go and do another job, but that, that's arguable. Um, today, being a, you know, working for the tax office or being a tax lawyer, Perfectly there's big, there's acceptable. There's a very big difference there. Yeah, and and the idea would be as a tax lawyer, you would, it's okay to pay the minimum amount of tax according to the law. So you're actually interpreting or following the, uh, you know, government regulation. That's fine. It's when you slip over into grey areas and start bending or breaking those laws that it's that it's a problem. Right. You want to? Have I, I answered that question? Yeah, that's good. Thank you. So, there's yeah. there's there's two last questions and they're sort of related. Um, it, doesn't the Bible say that uh, someone who doesn't follow Jesus actually can't see their um, badness uh, unless God actually reveals it to them? So, you know, why, why are they blamed for, for that? And the, the kind of second question is, is it wrong to compare ourselves with more successful people, um, Christians or non-Christians, I guess, as a prompter to do what we ought to do, so as, a, as an inspiration? You take those questions separately. Well, if you I'll like. take the second one. I think it's like, yeah, I think you can learn from the example of others. For example, you know, people who are disciplined and work hard, etc. And have achieved, yes, uh, Jesus is saying, don't let comparisons interfere in the way that you relate to God. I think that's the point. It's not wrong to learn from someone else. In fact, uh, lots of the proverbs will say, learn, learn from someone who is wise and someone who's got their their act together. The question of can someone who doesn't follow Jesus really uh, see their own heart, etc. Uh, the Bible holds, in fact, pretty much every page of the Bible holds two great truths together in a kind of attention, and that is that uh, people are responsible for their actions and their attitudes towards God, and God will hold us responsible. We are real moral beings with real decisions to make. And at the same, and and, however, left on our own, we'll just naturally walk away from God. We will, we will like a bowl, the bias and a lawn bowls ball. We will naturally walk away from God and ignore Him. The Bible also says God takes the initiative through His Spirit to open the hearts and minds of some people to see how great Jesus is and how great our need of Him is, and yet. And Bible holds both of those true at the same time. So if you're if you're here today, or if you're following online, and you're beginning to get the the idea of just how great Jesus is and how much we need Him, that is a sign of the Spirit of God at work in your life, uh, which is a great thing. Um, okay, I think you've you've dealt very well with all those questions. Please uh, join me in thanking Al for his efforts today and working so hard up the front. <laughs> um, so uh, next week is, is our last talk in this uh, series and the last City Legal for the year. So make sure you're here. Same time, same place. See you then.